Who is not awake? All right, sweet. Glad it's all of us. So, um, my name is Matt, and um, if you're newer here or I haven't met you yet, uh, I am. I work with the high school youth group here. My technical title is the high school missions pastor. I'm also on staff with uh, Young Life, um, which is an outreach organization uh, reaching out both to high school students and middle school students. Um, and maybe you're asking, why is this guy that's maybe half my age, or maybe the same age as me, or maybe three times less than my age, speaking this morning, and what could he have um, to share with me? And um, man, if I were to share my credentials for why I should be preaching this morning, I don't have any. Um, in high school, I had like a 3.4 uh, GPA. I went to community college. Um, I probably had a 2.7 in community college. I was really good at leaving when I didn't want to be there. Um, and then I ended up finishing community college with no degree whatsoever. I'm actually one science class away from my AA. Um, and I have discipled students that have a higher degree than I do when they graduate. <laughs> um, I've never gone to Bible school. I've never been like trained whatsoever in how to preach like formally or how to speak God's word. I've never taken really any classes or anything like that to be biblically scholarly. I don't even know the words, see? Um, and so why, why should I have anything to share with you guys? Well, the one thing that has been a constant for me in the last four and a half years is that my life looked really different four and a half years ago before I truly was following Jesus. Um, but since following Jesus, like that's really all I've tried to know is to follow Jesus and for him to change me and for him to show me what his word is all about, for him to give me a new heart and to continue to follow him through the ups and downs, through me failing, through me still um, making mistakes, that he's stayed constant. And um, really, I, there's, there's no reason I should be up here speaking other than that, that, that Jesus has been the person and the one that I, I'm trying to follow. And what's awesome is that's the same for all of you, too, I hope, um, that you're choosing to follow Jesus, too, because any of you probably could be up here as well, sharing what God has done in your life, sharing what he's teaching you, what he's showing you through his word and through his truth. Maybe it would be a little scary but if we really got the courage and if we really like had the passion to share with others what Christ is doing, I bet each and every single one of us could be up here doing this. Um, so I'm just a normal person. <laughs> I'm just a 24-year-old with a mustache because it's March um, that, that wants to follow Jesus and, and wants to share with other people what he's teaching me through his word, what he's doing in my life, and what we can do to collectively together as a family of brothers and sisters going forward as we try to follow him together. So, let's read this passage in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. God, this morning, in this passage, Lord, I need so much humility, God, and I need so much vulnerability. And Lord, would you give me the courage to share what you have for these people here, for my friends and and for these strangers, Lord, but my brothers and sisters nonetheless, for what you have for them. Holy Spirit, would you be speaking to the hearts? God, would people come before you with hearts open, with the walls being torn down, um, not being afraid of what you might share with them this morning and what you might have for them, Lord? God, would we continue to approach your throne and be blown away by your holy God, but that you invite us to still be there, even though at times we feel so stained and and so nasty still, and so, so broken, Lord, that you've invited us into your righteousness. God, would your truth be the truth that we walk away with, Lord? Um, And and would we see you for who, for who you are and who you've said that we are as well? In your name, amen. All right. So. We have been in a couple rough weeks in Romans. It's been a little heavy. Um, if you've been here, Paul starts out this letter to this church, and he's just nailing sin in, like, this is what sin is, and all of you have done it, whether you realize it or not. Um, and once again this morning, if you thought we were going to get to the encouraging stuff, oh, no, no, we're not there yet, people. Um, Paul is drilling it in almost with this exclamation point. I'm saying, all have sinned once more. Like, don't forget that I said that. In case you've forgotten over the last two weeks, Harvest Church, that you've sinned, oh, you've sinned. Um, And you've all fallen short, like, of the glory of God. That's actually coming up in Romans uh, 3.23, coming up next week. So we get to hear it again. Awesome. Um, And then, But then in this passage, like this time, Paul also speaks to something a little different as well. He says, none... Are righteous, and then he goes on from there. Like he's quoting these Psalms, and he's quoting Isaiah, uh, maybe some Ecclesiastes in there as well. Just dash of Ecclesiastes um, that he's quoting through this passage to say, like, all are liars, all none like seek God, nobody's good, nobody's this, nobody's that. It's like, geez, wow, like you're really laying it on thick. Um, This actually, though, it reminded me of a story that we can find in Luke 15. Um, Because Jesus tells a story of a man who had two sons. And um, this this man, this father, was a really good man. And he really loved his sons a ton. He had an older son and he had a younger son. And maybe some of you have heard this story before. Maybe not. And this younger son, though, one day, he goes up to his dad and says, Hey, I want my inheritance. Like, I want your money. And in that culture and in that time, what it meant was like, I know I'm supposed to get this when you die, um, but you're not dead yet. And I kind of wish that you were dead instead because I just want what's coming to me. Um, And since you're not dead, I'm going to ask for it now. Super disrespectful, super, super hurtful to that father as well. But for whatever reason, the father gives him the inheritance that he asks for. And that younger brother just takes off wild living, crazy living, completely running away from everything his father most likely had ever taught him, and then spends all his inheritance, and he's left with absolutely nothing. 
And if you've heard this story before, you're like, oh yeah, I know, the prodigal son, yada, yada, yada. He comes back home, um, and his father embraces him, even though he's left with nothing. And it's this awesome picture of sin. And like when we've gone into our sin, when we've gone to the things of this world, how we can come back to the father, and he embraces us, and he puts the cloak around us, and he puts the ring on our finger, showing the son and daughtership. And then he invites us into this party and throws a party inviting everyone. And that's usually the part of the story that we hear the most. But we forget that how Jesus starts the story is there was two sons. Because this whole time, what's the older brother thinking as he's watching this? His little brother, who, who's just disrespected his dad, um, takes off. And maybe he's like, good riddance. That dude was a punk. Um, I don't have to share my broom with him anymore. Um, I get all his stuff. But we don't think about like what's going on in the older brother's heart during this time before um, as he's diligently working. He's out in the field still. He's doing everything that his father asked that whole time, um, slaving away, serving his father. Um, but then when his brother comes back, we get a little window in maybe the deeper root or the deeper um, picture, really getting to see who this older brother is and what he's like. So in Luke 15, verse 28, and I think there's a slide for this. This is what happens. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, refused to go in the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look! All these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's not happy. <laughs> um, it's, when he says, look, it's like saying, look, you, disrespecting his father just like his younger brother did. Um, not treating him as the loving father that he actually is. He's like, I've been slaving. Oh, you're not serving your father? You're slaving for your father? That's how you view it? I've been slaving for you, and you've never done anything for me like this. You've not even killed a young goat for me and my friends. Like, who are you to throw this party for this punk, this guy that disrespected you, this guy that took all your money and spent it, and you welcome him back with open arms? And what's the father's response? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. It's really interesting that Jesus ends it there because we don't know what this older brother does. We don't know the choice that he ends up making in that moment. Does he go into the party or does he keep hanging out outside? Man, I think at times in our faith, like we feel like this older brother um, 
because we, as we're following God or we're wanting to serve the Father, we're like, man, I'm doing all this stuff right. Like, I'm giving to the poor and I'm, I'm giving on Sundays and I'm loving my family and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But why is this junk still happening in my life? Like, why aren't things like going my way? Why am I not getting what I think I deserve out of this? Um, why is life still still hard? Why does it still seem unfair? Like, do you actually love me whatsoever? I checked all the boxes. Um, I deserve the party. These other people don't. Like, why, why does that Christian over there like, seem like they have all this joy while I just seem like I have all this hard stuff? Um, in a lot of ways, this brother in this story, he, he's pointing out the splinter in his brother's eye while there's a log in his own eye that he can't even see. And Jesus is sharing this with well, the people he was sharing with then were, it says, a bunch of the sinners and the religious leaders had all gathered um, together to hear him, to hear him teach. Um, and the older brother really hits on, a lot of the time, those who, who are religious and those who are seeking to follow God, those who are looking to do God's will. Because um, for me, what I've seen, I, I used to be the younger brother, I'll, I'll get to that a little later, but... Since becoming a Christian, what I fall into way more often is that tendency and that mentality of that older brother um, who thinks that that by doing these good things, I should get good things as well. Um, by serving God, God should serve me um, and all this stuff. And there's two traps that we're going to talk about uh, that, that I think Christians that we can fall into a lot of the time when we have this older brother mentality. Um, maybe we don't even think we have this mentality, but maybe afterwards you'll be like, oh, wow, I have totally had that before. So the first trap um, that we're going to talk about is that we think that we can earn God's favor, favor through good works. Um, in this passage in Romans, like Paul speaks to righteousness um, because a lot of the time we think, man, if I just do all this good stuff, if I create this righteousness of my own, if I, if I do all these good things, like that earns this favor in God's eyes where maybe finally then I'll be accepted. Maybe finally then he'll consider me worthy or, or maybe finally then that's how I get my way to heaven or, or jewels in my crown or whatnot. And we're all working towards this end of trying to create this righteousness or trying to find this salvation through what we do instead of through who God is. And it's so easy to fall into that where, where we just want to do these things to feel better about like, man, that, that makes me more of a Christian, right? That, that, makes, me, that makes me more precious in God's sight. Um, I was talking with a friend yesterday that sometimes like the thing that the, the song we should sing more often um, is Jesus loves me <laughs> um, or, or Jesus loves the little children. Because if we truly believed those songs, if we truly like um, knew in all our being that those were true lyrics about how God views us and how God sees us, we wouldn't work so hard trying to always think that we've got to draw so close to God. Like if we're precious in His sight, if Jesus loves me, um, man, that's more than enough than what I could ever offer in that relationship. I get to accept who God is in the midst of it instead. And so in that trap of like trying to, to have these good works to, um, to draw closer to God or create this righteousness of our own, a lot of the time we end up comparing ourselves to others too. Uh, 
maybe we look around and we're like, well, at least I'm going to this homeless shelter once a week. That Christian over there, I don't even think I've seen him give money on a Sunday before. And like we try to raise ourselves based off like how where others are at in their faith as well. I've totally done this so many times where I look at these other Christians and I'm like, man, like I'm serving with youth group and I'm serving with young life. What are you doing? Like, man, I'm so much holier than thou. Um, and I, and I, I, I see myself in this light that God loves me more than he loves you. It sounds terrible, right? But maybe, I hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> Otherwise, everybody's like, whoa, why did we have this guy preach? Because um, <laughs> it's like God loves me more than he, loves, than he loves you because I'm doing his work. I'm doing his stuff. That's a lie. That's trash. Like, that's not true whatsoever about who God is. That's how we often treat people. That's how, what we project uh, onto what love looks like. Um, I don't have kids, um, but I work with students. And, and something that's easy sometimes is like when, when I share a lesson or when I have a conversation with multiple students and it's like, hey, let's be about this thing or let's do this thing. And there's one or two that are like, I'm in. Let's do it. And then there's one that's like, nah, that sounds dumb. I'm like, we'll skip you then, man. Like, let's, you two, let's go. You know, it's so much easier for me to just be like, I love these that are right here and want to do what I, what I do, you know, instead of like this overarching love of meeting people exactly right where we're at. Don't we want a God that's like that, right? Not a God that's like us and how we carry it out and how we treat people. And through our comparison, we we dictate dictate who's righteous and who's not um, in our eyes. Uh, once again, going back to we we decide what's good, we decide what's evil, and having that knowledge from that fruit and that tree continues to destroy us and continues to separate God's people from each other because we automatically make these gut reaction decisions about where people are at with Jesus based off what we can see with our eyes instead of what's going on in their hearts. So that's the first trap. The second one. It is so easy for us to want others, from what we project on the outside, uh, for it to look like we're saved, you know, all the time. And what I mean by that is that if I walk in on a Sunday morning, or if I walk into a community group, or if I'm getting together with a brother or sister for coffee, um, and my life is really hard. And, and I've screwed up, or I've sinned, or I've, I've whatever, it is much easier when they ask me that question of like, how are you doing right now? I say, oh, I'm good. I'm doing great. Like, this thing's going good. Stocks are up. I don't do anything with stocks. I just said that. Um, Blazers, Wesley got hurt. That stinks. Um, but everything else, like, I'm doing pretty good. Because if we let people in for a second to show how gnarly things actually can be sometimes, we're so scared that maybe our salvation comes in question. Wait, you sinned? You went to that again? What are you doing? Like, do you even love Jesus? And then in turn, we're scared that, that what they think of us in that moment, that's what God thinks of us too. And, and we're so scared to actually be known. And that, that, that we could come here on a Sunday and we could be a place about open repentance, open confession. That'd be scary, huh? Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, don't have him preach again. Jeez. But that's what I see throughout Scripture that God wants from his people. And not just individually, collectively. 
as well. That because Christ's love compels us with one another, that we so know that we're loved by God, that we in turn can love one another, that these things, that whatever we could share, would never so alter how we view each other because Jesus' love is more than that. Jesus' love runs deeper than that. We can't make these judgments or these assumptions that, that they're in a worse or, or better off place than we are. We meet each other with love in the midst of it instead. Like I was talking recently with some people how Paul, like, in a, I don't remember what letter it's in, but he says, if anyone in, in the body is caught in sin, bring them before the whole congregation um, and have them like, openly share that. And it's like, holy crap, Paul, sorry. Um, <laughs> high schoolers. Um, it's like, what are you doing? That sounds terrible. Like, that sounds awful. If I was caught in my sin to come up in front of all you and be like, this is what I have done. <laughs> um, that feels like a moment where everybody in the room is going to judge me. That nobody's going to accept me for like who I actually am. And it just sounds mortifying to most of us. And I don't think that's Paul's goal in wanting to do that. I think Paul, what he was thinking, maybe I'm wrong, is... These people come up, they share what's going on in their sin. They openly confess it to the body because Paul so trusted that the body of Christ would respond in such a way that they'd never want to go back to that thing again because they'd so see Jesus' grace, they'd so see Jesus' love in his body that they knew that they weren't alone in this. Because what a lie that the enemy has us believe all the time that we're alone in our struggle, that we're alone in our sin. The freedom to be able to share that, to share those things openly with people, whether it's on a Sunday, whether it's in uh, your small group or, or with a friend, like to share those things and know that still we are fully loved by God. And that how those people respond, hopefully that's what Jesus would do, that's what Jesus would, ha- would say to us. you know. But no matter their response, um, that doesn't dictate who Jesus is. His love is unchanging despite how awesome or how lame people can be in the midst of that. But we can come into this place and and life can be a mess and we can pretend like everything's okay a lot of the time Um, because we still feel like we have to look like we're a Christian on the outside. But I think we've really skewed what looking like a Christian actually looks like on the outside that I see joyful, broken, repentant people. Um, but often we think we just have to be joyful and have it together. Um, but that's, that really stumps grace in a lot of ways. That really keeps grace out of the equation. So I'm up here saying all this and like, hey, let's do this next Sunday. Um, but if I were to ever ask anybody to do something, it's not something... Uh, I'd never ask someone to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do. And I know a lot of you probably don't know me very well. Um, and you're probably like, oh my gosh, like he had a 2.7 in community college? That's terrible. Um, and, and that's maybe the first detail you know about my life. Um, so I just wanted to share a couple things with you guys um, to show like we do not have to be chained to our past or our present um, failings or sin or struggle. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home and uh, awesome parents, um, but I did not always attribute it to being to having an awesome Jesus. Uh, I, I kind of just walked through life doing my thing, um, and, and God was a cool side buddy. He's like the sidecar on the motorcycle, but I was never letting him really drive or anything like that. 
And so when I got to high school, I really started testing some of these things and testing boundaries. And I struggled with loneliness and acceptance and lack of self-worth a lot. So I tried to find it in a lot of other things. I tried to find it in girls quite often. I, I tried to find it through drinking and through drugs. Um, tried to find it through making others lower than myself. Um, and I was a mess by my, my, after my freshman year in college. Um, going to those things time and time and time again, um, hiding it from everybody, too, uh, hiding it from my parents, even hiding it from my closest friends, um, because if anybody actually ever knew who Matt was, there's no way, even my awesome parents, there's no way they'd love me like they used to. There's no way they'd accept me like they used to. But four and a half years ago is when I came to know Jesus and saw how he fully loved me and fully accepted me right where where I was at. And he wasn't going to leave me that way either. He wasn't going to leave me where he found me. He said, go, now leave your life of sin. And I don't condemn you for what you've done. Step into my grace. Step into my righteousness instead of you trying to be good or trying to figure out on your own what's good for you all the time. So that's a bit of where I've been. Um man, I still struggle. Like, I still sin. Um, It was easy for me to give up alcohol. It was easy for me to give up drugs. It's been really hard to give up girls, if I'm honest with you. Um, It's been really hard uh, continually. God's had a refining work um, in my life, but it's been hard being on my own, being single and 24, and people asking, oh, is there someone in your life? No. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> and I don't know if there ever will be. <laughs> and just like having that in the back of my mind all the time of like, Lord, I just need somebody. I need them. I need them. I need them. I need them to fulfill me. I need to know that I'm fully loved, that I could fully be accepted by this girl and whatnot. And the whole time Jesus is like, dude, I'm right here. I'm not a girl, but I'm right here. Hopefully, uh, we won't get in that. Um, but often, like I still so badly make these decisions in my life based off people instead of based off who Jesus is. And I continue to fall into temptation or I continue to fall into sin or lack of self-worth or acceptance based off people, not just girls, but people in general. I want to be liked. Like I want people to think I'm funny. Um, I want people to think I have it together a lot of the time. I want students to think I'm cool, and I fall into these things. Um, But Jesus has been so good to not leave me hanging in the midst of that, to continue to use his spirit to convict. I get to talk to Greg every week, and I get to say, Greg, I'm struggling with this. Um, I get to talk to my roommates. Um, if you want to ask us about our roommate living situation, feel free sometime. It's pretty interesting. Um, but really, really, really good. And some of the best community that I've ever gotten to be a part of because we're open with each other and where we're at. Um, and we don't judge or condemn each other where we're at. And, and we, get to, we get to bear everything together, too. Um, we get to see all the gnarly places um, and then run to Jesus together in the midst of it. You see, with these traps, the thing that that outdoes it, the thing that overcomes it is God's grace. Because if we truly dove into what God's grace is and how he lavishly pours it out on us, we wouldn't feel like we had to pretend like everything's okay all the time. We wouldn't compare ourselves to others because his grace would be so deep and so wide that we're like, anybody can receive this. And everybody needs to continue to receive this. I need to continue to receive this as well. 
there's a quote from Timothy Keller where um, he he's this pastor in New York and he's having this conversation with this lady and, and she was having such a hard time grasping, like receiving grace. So here, here's the conversation they had. Timothy says, I asked her what was so scary about unmerited free grace received from God. She replied something like this. If I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if it is really true that I am a sinner saved by sheer grace, at God's infinite cost, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. And that's so true. There is nothing that God could not ask of us because of his grace, because we've received the best gift. When, when we receive gifts from people a lot of the time, it's like, oh gosh, I didn't get them anything. I've got I've to get them something in return. And God doesn't ask that of us. But he has all right to because of the great gift of his grace. And he's invited us and he's asked us to be in this community of, with one another, of sharing in that grace together. Um, but we so often try to keep it back and try to withhold grace and still go forward in our good works to earn salvation or to earn um, a closeness with God or to earn that ticket to heaven. In Philippians uh, 3, 4 through 8, this is what Paul says. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in the regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuted the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In Romans, like Paul saying, none are righteous, all have sinned for a reason, because he tried to gain his own righteousness, and he did it really well according to the law. He followed the law to a T. Born on the eighth day, a Jew of Jews, like the top, the top dude everybody looked to in so many ways. And he said, ultimately though, through all my works, through all my efforts, through all I tried to do to gain my own righteousness, to become faultless in God's sight, it was trash in comparison to knowing Jesus, in comparison to having this relationship with God in comparison to receiving the grace that I didn't deserve. It was garbage, all of it. At the end of this passage in, in, in Romans, around verse 20, it, it says like the law and, and this righteousness that God, that God posed through the law was to make us conscious of sin, was to show us our lack of ability to follow these rules, to follow these regulations, that we had no righteousness that, that we could bring about on our own because we're fallen and we're sinful. And if, if I think if Paul were to write to us like um, about this and the things that we still try to find our righteousness in, he'd say something along, along the lines of all of our efforts of doing good deeds, of being nice, leading worship, preaching, mission trips, whatever it may be, if it's compelled by anything other 
then our relationship with Jesus, it's trash. And that's super hard for me to hear. Because <laughs> there are times when I've gotten up in front of a youth group or I've gotten up in front of Young Life and I'm going through the motions. And I'm doing it because I know I'm supposed to do it. And I forget, I get lost in what this is actually all about, that it's about Jesus. And it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to no longer be compelled by love, like 1 Corinthians says, and to just be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Because that's all we are if we're not compelled by our relationship with Jesus. If what I'm saying right now isn't compelled by Christ, it's trash. Um, It's no good to us. (laughs) It's no good to me and my relationship with Christ either. Um, It doesn't gain me any righteousness or any further salvation. So in that, in hearing all have sinned, in hearing all are unrighteous, that feels like, ugh, bummer. But the more I looked at this passage and the more I read it and the more I thought about it, I was like, wow, what freedom. Because when I look at Gary and when I look at pastors in India and when I look at my best friend and when I look at my friend who I hung out with yesterday that doesn't know Jesus and when I look at students, I don't have to see them all as these different levels of different closeness or attaining relationship or righteousness with God that all have sinned. All are unrighteous. We're all on the same playing field. We can't do it on our own. The freedom in the midst of it is that all of us together need to seek Christ's righteousness. And he says that his righteousness is more than enough for all of us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all of us have died to our sins. All of us have died to trying to gain and retain our own righteousness in the midst of it in the midst of it, that he's more than enough for us. So back to that story about the father and the two sons. So the father, he was extending that grace to both the younger, really kind of the picture of that sin and sin of the world, and that older, trying to gain this righteousness. And what he did, though, in the midst of it, is he invited them both to the same party. What is this party that this father invited them to in this story? Well, what I've found is that God throws the best parties that there are because everybody's invited. When I was five years old, um, I had my first kind of like formal birthday party. Um, It was pirate-themed, pretty awesome. Uh, And I sit down with my mom, and uh, we're talking about who I want to invite. And as I've gotten older, um, we kind of start to put parameters around. And like we're like, okay, I, I'm going to invite him and her. Ooh, but that means and then they're probably going to tell that other person. Um, and so that means I have to invite them too. But I really don't want their boyfriend to come or whatever. And we start to put these parameters around like who we want to be at this party. But when I was five, my mom sits me down and is like, so who do you want to go? I was like, well, I want Steve and I want Timmy and I want John and I want Seth and I want Daniel. And I go on for like 30 people or something like that. That I, Because I had no parameters around who I wanted to be at this party. I think she did end up limiting it to 15. Crazy to have 15 five-year-olds running around though. She earned a jewel in her crown. Um... <laughs> But God has an even deeper heart than that for who he invites to the party because it truly is everyone. He invites all 
to come to it. And I'd like to say that I would want to invite all people to this party, all people to the kingdom of God. But then I start running through different types of people on the list, and I'm like, oof, would I invite them? Would I invite ex-rapists to the party? Would I invite ex-murderers to the party? Would I invite ex-ISIS members to the party? Would I invite the people that have wronged me? Would I invite my enemies? Would I invite Portlanders? Ah. I'm from Portland, by the way, so those jokes are not funny. Only sometimes. But really, like, if we walked into the party and saw all these different types of people in it that had received grace, would we be turned off to wanting to go in whatsoever? Because that's what the older brother was. He looked at his younger brother, and he didn't want to go in because he didn't think he deserved to be in that party. He did. And he removed himself from God's party in the process from all that the Father wanted to invite him into. Because Jesus' party has started already. What he did on the cross started ushering in the kingdom now. Like his, He's the king on the throne. He's the king that conquers death. He's the king that rose again. And his kingdom is coming here and now. And one day it will come in its full glory. And the party started. Are you in the party or are you waiting outside? Are you looking at the inside and seeing who's there or who could be there and refu- refusing to step in? Are you inviting people to this party? And are you limiting who you invite to? Would you be willing to invite an annoying coworker or a mean boss or a stranger or a family member or somebody that you used to know in high school or that friend that stabbed you in the back? Or the person that cut you off in traffic. Like, do we want everybody to be there in that party celebrating because the Father is that good? Not because they are. Not because we are. Because He is. So with all this together and wrapping this up, I'll invite the band to come on up. Like, God's given us the ability... He's given us the freedom to acknowledge our own unrighteousness, that none are righteous, and I can't say that enough. Because for me, that gives me a big gasp of fresh air of going, oh, that is such a weight that I don't have to bear (laughs) of trying to be righteous on my own. The freedom in the midst of that to step into God's righteousness. We can boast about our weaknesses together, too. We can boast about how we failed and how we've fallen. Because in our weaknesses, we get to glorify God all the more and what he's brought us up out of. What if this was a place that on a Sunday we could walk in and know 100% of the time that everybody here we could talk to and share anything with because they were going to end up pointing us to Jesus in the midst of, in the midst of it. Like, What if we weren't afraid to be known in this place? Not just here on Sundays, but in our small groups. And with our friends, what if then in turn, as we shared the gospel with other people, we weren't afraid for them to fully know us either. That they could see the places that are broken in our lives still. And it would speak to the glory of who God is. That our scars and that our wounds would actually speak to the cross and the the redemption and the salvation and the healing that's taken place in our lives. 
we could accept being broken and all the more accept grace together and share that same hope with others, inviting everybody into that party. So are we going to do that together? Are we going to keep waiting outside? And as we sing this next song, like, are you in that party? Are you still looking in? Like, I don't know if I want to go in. And maybe that's because you don't know Jesus yet and you haven't chosen for him to be your Savior, for him to be the one um, that everything is about, the one that holds you, the one that saves you, the one that redeems you along the way, even though you failed, because I have too. But he's continued to be good. I'll pray and then we'll sing together. Thank you, Lord. That on the cross, Jesus, that you have set us free. You set us free from the law, Lord. That we don't have to follow that. That you completed and fulfilled the law. That we don't have to try to attain our own righteousness. God, would you help me to see how you're more than enough in my life? That I continue to need to surrender to you, Lord. The things that I try to hold on to so tightly because I'm scared to let go. God, for my friends here, would they too choose to let go of what they think they need to hold on to? Because they're, they're scared of what life could look like if truly your grace was more than enough. God, would we want to go into your party and what you're doing and how you're bringing your kingdom now? Would we want to be a part of your kingdom work because of who you are? God, and would we do it together? Lord, you didn't create us to be loners and to be doing this thing on our own. God, would we want to run this race together, knowing that we're running towards the Father and running towards a day where all this brokenness is gone and that your perfect kingdom comes in all its glory. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free from sin and from our own righteousness. In your name, amen.